Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. I'm off to neck a pint of gravy. And my adulthood chum, Minty Booth. Is that an energetic rhino beetle? And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! Right at the top of the episode here, we'd like to direct your attention to the following things. One, our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, and you can find all manner of amazing video content, such as a whole bunch of mini-series that Chris has produced, some brilliant streaming content, including Chris trying to get his way through the Mario Maker world that I made for him to tackle, and also a recent playthrough of Sea of Thieves, where you see me mutter all curses under the sun. Horrible words. We have an Instagram channel where our video content also is at o3c podcast you can subscribe to that and see a load of pictures and stuff that we post there as well we also have a patreon page for those of you who are really enjoying the podcast and and want to support it a little bit more than uh, you're already doing simply just by listening to it you can go to patreon.com slash our three cents and look at some of the amazing perks on offer for some bonus content and custom artwork and a whole discord channel which you can chat to us on in exchange for some pennies of pledgery. So please do have a look at that. So this week we have our 17th favourite video games of all time. But before we do that, this is very exciting. We're returning to the quiz. <sighs> okay. And it's rollover week. Stakes are high. Like a dwarf in a butcher's shop. The stakes <laughs> are high. <laughs> Chris is one point ahead. And there are two points up for grabs. Oh, I could do it. I could be in front for the first time ever. Dead or Alive falls into which gaming genre? A. Survival horror. B. Comedy. C. Action adventure. D. Fighting. D. Fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Chris does get in there. I, I wanted to shout beat him up as soon as I heard the name. And then I was like, no. I would not have given no. it to you for it was not the exact answer. You must learn your lesson, Christopher. Is Dead or Alive not the, the volleyball one? Uh, that's a, a spin-off. There is a Dead or Alive volleyball game, yes. Oh, um, yeah. Because all of the fighters in the Dead or Alive series are bikini-clad buxom models. Yes. Oh, what does that say about me that that's all I know about <laughs> it? No, it says more about what you've been marketed at. So... You know, it's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Well, you know, I just wanted to, to put some sort of salve into the wound that he's now three points behind Chris again. Oh, it feels so uh, good. Well, play for. It feels so good. It's been worse. So what have we been playing this last week? Who is still cracking on with Super Mario 3D All-Stars? I am. Chris? I am. How are you getting on with it? I'm still on 64. Uh, my, my half term from school comes up next week, and I have this big list of games oh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to finish. Ooh, what are on your list? I want to finish Super Mario 64, because I'm now about 70 stars in. I'm, I'm very close. Um, it feels that, you know, it's, it's not a big, a big stretch now to get to the end. I would like to finish the Tony Hawk's remaster because I, I did ah, yes. I got 100% on, on the first game's goals and then I did about half of Tony Hawk's 2 and then just got distracted by something else so I, I want to give that a proper go and I also received in the post uh, my physical copy of The Outer Wilds ah yes and this hopefully will be the push that makes me play it properly knowing that I've got some time when I don't have to worry about any work for a few days 
and I can hopefully give it the time that I think it deserves because the, the more I've thought mm. about it after not playing it, the more I've thought how much I should enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those that it's like, I, it, it ticks all the boxes on paper for something that I should be really, really into. Yeah. And and I'm hoping it was just that I was in the wrong mindset at the time or I didn't have the right time to give it or, or something and that this will be this will be the time. So that that's my plan for the, for the half-term week. But in terms of Mario 64... I have now got through Shifting Sandland and Lethal Lava Land, Those the, wankers. the two stages that I, I hate more than any others in the game. Yeah. They're, they're my least favourite by quite a margin, those two stages. I think my, my issue, like a level like TikTok Clock is annoying because it's so easy to fall to your death. But for some reason, I find the lava spitting you up in the air or the sand sucking you down more annoying. I know exactly what you mean. It's It's something to do, I think, with the idea that it's like, survival is still just about in your hands but you have just enough control taken away that i don't like that feeling of having to wrestle with it <laughs> that if i just fall down a hole and i'm dead it's like well i fucked it and that's on me <laughs> whereas in those stages it's like oh I, j- I just missed it and now the game is just toying with me yeah it's you know when when you burn your bum and you fire 50 miles in the air where are you landing <laughs> you don't have enough control to really make that safe yeah i, I think on like a weird tangent when when i draw I much prefer drawing in biro than I do in pencil. Mm. And I wonder if that's because with pencil, you can correct a mistake. You can go back to it 50 times. You can you can keep going over what you've done. Whereas biro is more definite. And and I think I I like the finality of, of drawing in pen, just as I like the finality of falling down a hole. <laughs> because I, I just feel that bit too aggrieved when I'm like skit, skittering along a platform, holding my little singed bum. So I've broken the back of Mario Galaxy. You'll be pleased to know. I did give it a go docked using the Joy-Con with the motion controls. Infinitely better. Like, great. Really, really good. Works really well. Like, there's still camera issues in lots of places, but, like, all in all, it's really, really good fun. The only downside is that I have to play it kind of on the TV, so I, so I, I haven't been, you know, obviously picking it up and playing it with the same ferocity that I, that I did uh, 64 and Sunshine. But I, I've used the downtime between playing galaxy on the tv to to complete a couple of games oh firstly mo astray the indie puzzle platformer i started a few weeks back oh yeah i really really loved this game great puzzles great mechanics great story and and to be honest some of the best 2d boss fights i've ever played i i, I highly recommend it it's it's not a, a huge game but it's got i it's definitely got replay value there's lots of secrets to sort of go back and find and and just just playing through it is, is really satisfying it's very very clever very good and uh i also i've got one step ahead of you here chris because i i did go back and finish tony hawk's pro skater one and two. Oh, have you yeah I, I got g'd up to play it uh after you spoke about tony hawk's a couple of weeks back an evening last week i just thought oh got the evening off sammy was working and i just had a absolute blast just playing through the rest of the game so much fun just i mean brilliant effort from vicarious visions and just wholeheartedly bring on the three and four remake please please i just want more i just want more it's brilliant absolutely brilliant have you got any mario to talk about minty no, not only Mario, has to be said. I hit a roadblock because I am currently on my least favourite level in Mario 64, which is Tiny Huge Island. Oh, it's not that bad. I, I, I struggled with that as well this time. That almost uh, swore me off. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think it's because it's sort of late game. It's like, oh, okay, I, yeah, I'm so close to 120, but I've got this 
It's so big. <laughs> it's so big. I didn't realise until I played through Super Mario 3 recently on Super Mario All-Stars that that tiny, huge island builds on the um, similar concept in Super Mario 3. World 4. Which is really yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> the Mario 3 mythos. Have you been playing anything else at all this week, Minty? Yes, I'm going back to my roots. I am trying to beat Doom 2 on Ultraviolet. Here we go. Ah. <laughs> How are you getting on with it? It's not going great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm finding it a little tricky to control. Um, I don't know if that's because it is tricky to control as a game or because it is tricky to control on the Switch port. But when I beat a level, it feels good. Even though I'm rubbish at it, it's still really good fun to play. How about you, Chris? Uh, Have you played anything else this week? I've played another game, which is like my um, reward game when I'm working on my laptop. (laughs) Um, that I, I picked up a, a dungeon crawler on Steam called Book of Demons. And it's it's styled as if it's kind of paper craft, like almost Paper Mario style, but like from an isometric viewpoint. But it does a lot of really neat things that made me want to give it a go above, say, getting into something like Diablo. Because it, it assuages a lot of my kind of dungeon crawler fears in that it's it's card based rather than character based. So you, you can't fuck up your character spec or build. Mm. You know, if, if something isn't working, you just equip different cards and, and try it differently. And I quite like that it's not as, you know, you, you can't funnel yourself down kind of a dead end that I feel you can in, in some of those other games if you're, if you're trying to get into them properly. I've, I've not put loads of time into it yet. Like I said, it's, it's really like the 10 minute game in between doing other stuff. But the reason it works so well for that is it makes some really nice allowances for people with no time. <laughs> like you, when you start a quest, you can customize the length of how long you're going to play for. So up front, you can go, I want to do a five minute dungeon or a 10 minute dungeon or a 15 minute dungeon. And then you know that you're not going to get sucked in for longer unless you choose to. And it's, it's such a little thing, but it, it really helps if you're doing what I'm doing, like using it as a reward for, you know, finishing something that I have to do to let me do 15 minutes of something that I'd like to do. It's also got other things like the UI has a clock in the corner. Like that, that's a real, that, that never happens in games, but I think it should <laughs> a lot more. Yeah. Like to, to just remind you that like I can glance up and say, oh, it's, it's 10.30. I should really think about getting to bed <laughs> instead of just sort of playing and then realizing that it's much later and I should have gone to bed. It's like it's just baked into the experience to just sort of remind you that there are other things in the world. And it's, it's like a dungeon crawler for a modern multitasker. It's, it's nice. just very respectful of your time. I was just about to say, that sounds very respectful. It's, it's got other kind of little little bits as well. Like, say you, you beat a dungeon, you've, you've killed all the enemies. Instead of making you walk back to the exit, a little icon just comes up that says, do you want to just go to the exit? <laughs> it's, it's just there's a lot of things like that that just take out the few minutes of downtime that I kind of just wasted moments if you're playing that sort of game. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it might be something that I use just on and off, you know, not necessarily to make loads of progress, but it, it feels quite satisfying to play, to just kind of like pick through a dungeon or two and then know that, oh, I can see it's bedtime at the end of it <laughs> and, and that I can just pop off and do something else. So, yeah, I, I would recommend it. Book of Demons is not very expensive, but it is uh, enjoyable. Nice. Well, I've broken the skin of some new games as well. Uh, most prominently, Hades. Ooh. The new roguelike game from Supergiant, the guys who made Bastion and, and Transistor. And, I mean, it's really quite brilliant. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've had a fair amount of experience with roguelikes now. And uh, I must say, they've really got the balance right with, with enough gentle progression to keep you playing, you know, one more run, great weapon loadouts and, and power-ups to keep everyone fresh. And it's also drenched in 
so much law you could siphon the excess spillage <laughs> off and run a bath with it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've done about 20 runs now and uh, I'm making slow progress through like the overall story. I find it's, it's not quite got the same immediacy as Dead Cells, but I think that's partly because there's just so much to do in the game. It's sometimes a bit overwhelming to dive straight back in for another run. But now that I'm sort of getting my head around all the different things going on, you know, it means I can approach each run with a bit more of a specific objective, which which makes it a bit more addictive. And um, I must say thank you to uh, one of our Patreons, David Boys Layton, who has recommended the game and has also been uh, been giving me a few tidbits of advice uh, as I start out on this adventure. But I would highly, highly, highly Selassie recommend this game to anyone. It's brilliant. And I think Minty, you especially, will really, really like it. Yeah, well, I'll be the judge of that. Well, I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I also gave another game a whirl for the first time, which is Among Us, the multiplayer game that's Ooh. taken the internet by storm oh, this year. Yeah. So it's a very simple game, and I got to play it with my regular group of mates on one of our Friday night gaming sessions. So the, ba- the basic setup is you'll all be bunged onto a spaceship together, and we'll have a few specific little tasks you need to, to fulfill to keep the ship flying. This could be fixing the lights or repositioning the navigation system, clearing the air vents, tinkering with the engines. And all of these are done with very simple, not even mini games, just like a click or two, nothing taxing. In fact, they're actually they're not too dissimilar to the micro games from, from WarioWare games, to be honest. Mm. But that's, that's not the point of the game. The twist is that one of you in the crew is an imposter who has countertasks to fulfill whilst trying not to give themselves away. And they need to sabotage the ship and kill the other crew members before they're discovered. Now, the way the game works is that you're not allowed to talk to people during a game. So you'll hush up when you start. (laughs) And then if, 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 if someone has a suspicion that they know who the imposter is, they can call a meeting and you can then type in the text chat to discuss who you think is the imposter and, and, and why. And then you, you all vote and whoever has the most votes will be ejected from the airlock and it will reveal if they were or weren't the imposter. And the beauty of that is that the, the text chat is obviously devoid of emotion. So it makes it very, very difficult to defend yourself uh, <laughs> and, uh, if somebody's accusing you because you can't, you know, you can just be like, well, it's not me. And that <coughs> just looks even more dodgy. It's, it's basically wink murder. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, in, it's incredibly fun. Like for the first few rounds, I, I wasn't sure. I couldn't understand how I could discover the imposter before they killed me. But after I'd had a couple of rounds playing as the imposter, then the game blew wide open. And I, I mean, I fully lent into my the just most devious side. And my choice strategy was I'd, I'd sabotage the ship's oxygen supply and then... Uh, everyone would panic and you'd need to run to a couple of points where, where, you know, you could fix the oxygen and I would run to where it needed to be fixed, wait for someone to come to fix it and kill them. (laughs) But then, then I went even more deceptive. So what I would do is I would sabotage the oxygen and then I would run to where the oxygen needed to be fixed, wait for someone to see me fix the oxygen supply. So I'd fix the problem that I'd caused. And then they'd absolutely be sure that, you know, I was on their side. And then I'd kill them. <laughs> uh, so, or, or, no, or no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't kill them. I'd hunt somebody else down and kill them so that the person that saw me fix the oxygen supply could vouch for my innocence. Oh, an alibi. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was just a whole heap of fun. It's such a simple game. 
and it, it's so quick to do around. It's, it's really cheap. I think it's even free on mobile. I mean, I highly recommend finding a group of friends and, and giving it a whirl. It's like the thing that struck me is it's, it's the closest video game experience I've had, I think, that replicates the feeling of playing a board game in person. I mean, certainly since going into lockdown. So that's been really, really lovely. Yeah, really, really good fun. And I, I'd, uh, I'd like it if we could find a time to play together, the mm. three of us. I think that could be really good fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, I've watched a few little clips and things that have come out. It's it's a game that is producing a lot of meme content, yeah, you yes, could say, online at the moment. Yeah. But what what I've found fascinating, this game has existed for almost two years. Yeah. And and basically had no one playing it at all up until like just the right sort of influencers picked it up, mm. and and now it has tens of millions of daily players <laughs> yeah. like it's it's an obscene jump that i imagine everyone on that team was probably feeling pretty disheartened that they they worked to make something that was was very different that you know that that satisfied a very specific niche and no one was playing it and, and yet you know by by kind of fate or fortune whatever you want to call it they they've now just totally turned it around and and are probably like bathing in money at this point yeah. because yeah. that's a lot of people the, the hype works because I'm, I'm interested to try it. Yeah. And, and especially now that, you know, I have a one degree of separation now for you playing it. <laughs> and that kind of gives me far more interest when, when I've got someone directly vouching for it. So uh, yeah, let's make it happen. Awesome. That'd be fun. So shall we move on to the rankings? Go yeah. on then. Starting this week, we have Minty's Game. Minty Booth, can you please tell us about your 17th favourite video game of all time? We've all played video games that feel more like a chore than anything else. A game, perhaps, that one feels compelled to finish because of the the hype surrounding it, and the hearty recommendations from friends, the FOMO that comes with AAA releases that end up being a bit disappointing. Chime in with yours. In ter- in terms of that sort of fear of missing out thing, I I bought and tried to enjoy Destiny and and just bounced off it after a few hours. <laughs> Uh, I did exactly the same with The Division when that came out. For some reason, thinking that was suddenly going to convert me to playing like a third-person shooter. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's loads of them like that that I've, I've bought and then just not not got through and felt, like you say, like a real chore to play. Mm. Yeah, yeah. For me, at the moment, it's currently every level on Mario 64 that I'm tr- doing if I'm trying to get 100 coins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about that one task that... I'm just over it before I've even started. I think for me, I can get all the stars that have a clue attributed to them in the, you know, the, the ba 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 bit. But 100 coins, like, what's the best way to get them? Which star stage has the most coins? Like, where do you even begin? That strange sense of uh, helplessness and lack of direction, that can, for me, certainly, that can kill my enjoyment of a game. I'm a very task oriented person. So I like a clearly defined set of objectives, like to-do lists or compartmentalization, all that stuff. Once I can familiarize myself with the parameters of a task, then we can start having some fun with those defined structures, because if it isn't fun, then what's the point? As I wrote this, I thought, I'll add in the bit from The Simpsons where Principal Skinner challenges Bart to see how many envelopes you can look in an hour and try and break that record. That's sort of a bit of self-deprecating humour. But I do that all the time in work anyway. Get given a task, do it a couple of times, figure out how to do it better, and then, you know, you can spend all the attribute points you get on levelling up on smugness. <laughs> it's a slippery slope, but the main point is I like having a task that I don't have to do the intended way if I can find a better one. Treat 
these methods like bamboo rods in the garden. They're sturdy, <laughs> yet flexible. <laughs> <laughs> in my 17th favourite video game, you have one task. To complete that task, you have a literal handful of tools. And with that literal handful of tools, the developers have given you 56,000 square miles of terrain to build an armory, an arsenal, commune with the spirits of old, enlist the help of colossal deities and ancient beasts of burden, bust up fanatical cults in the service of a dark god, recover fragments of a past life in a time that seemed not only hopeful, but buoyant with the joy of camaraderie and the final stand of humanity in the face of ancient and eternal evil. The final stand that ultimately was brought to its knees. How you choose to avenge your fallen comrades and enlist the help of their souls, eternal and furious, is up to you. Side quests, distractions and dogs that lead you to treasure are all things that you can either utilise or shun in your one true eternal objective. A task that sits on the top of your menu screen for the entirety of this game and indeed at the top of this prestigious series. Destroy Ganon. Yes! <laughs> like opening up a fresh save, it's difficult to know where to start when talking about Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so I'm going to start where I did last week when I talked about Wario Land 2 uh, with, with, with one word. Maybe this will be a thing. I don't know. But this week, the word is uh, incidental. I think this is the finest and most accomplished game that feels player-led that I've ever played. As I said earlier, your inventory is profoundly economical. You have bombs, a magic magnet, a thing that you can put an object into stasis with, and uh, also create pillars of ice from any water on the entirety of that 56,000 square mile map, along with any weapons and shields that you pick up along the way. But therein lies a near limitless way to play the game. You've got a pesky enemy nearby, next to a big rock. Put the big rock in stasis, and then hit it a couple of times to build up some potential energy, and watch it absolutely smear your foe ac uh, across the landscape when the stasis field ends. Sh sure, sh you, you can fight a mob in melee combat, but why not lure them to a cliff edge? And when they're in position, detonate a bomb behind them and send them flying into the abyss. Use the big magnet to open the door very quickly and knock a strange pig flying. <laughs> it's easier than you think. The game has such a joyous, yeah, go for it attitude. And it's <laughs> it's really great coming up with all kinds of crazy schemes to beat challenges and defeat enemies and have them work. Not because you're, you're exploiting game mechanics, but because those game mechanics seem to have been programmed with that human malleability in mind. It's not just how the game works that fits in with how you, the player, decide to proceed. One of the best things in this game is how the music moulds around your actions. It's amazing. Oh, I, I, I see you're riding a horse. Here's some gentle, tinkly piano music that's jaunty. You're still foreboding in case you forgot the world that you're in is damaged and desolate. Aha, you're in a dungeon. Okay, we'll start off with a little bit of minimalist music. It's still quite desolate. But we'll add in layers of complexity and instrumentation as you progress. Those Sheikah Towers that you've been told to find... They're waypoints, they're beacons of hope and discovery. So here's a gorgeous, gentle choral piece to enjoy as you climb each one. The soundtrack makes exploration more rewarding, pipping what new things you might find in each area to the post. Okay, I'm progressing the story, but also let's see what they've done with the Goron City theme this time around. Breath of the Wild is a game 
to get lost in. It's a grand, sweeping game that plops you down in a ravaged and hopeless land and says every challenge that you can see, that you can think of, and even ones unknown, you can overcome. It happens at your pace and in whichever direction you choose. I remember getting started and just picking a direction. Rolling hills become copper cliffs that sink into sweeping sands of the Gerudo Desert, and before I know it, I'm buying a dress off some fella to sneak into a female-only city to gain access to the fourth dungeon. Oh no, you may think. You've skipped three dungeons. This is a Zelda game, so you must have gotten stuck so quickly without the items that you got from the other dungeons. Well, no. Everything you need to succeed, you have been given on the Great Plateau, the tutorial area, save for some stronger weapons here and there. Whatever direction you face, you will eventually stand face-to-face with Calamity Ganon, and you will be victorious. And special mention goes to the dungeon maps, which are fully 3D schematics that you can interact with to change the layout of each divine beast's internals. Oh, the big camel isn't rotated the right way. That's easily fixed. Oh no, the big elephant that is also a building needs to point his trunk up. (laughs) Done, and now he's splashed out all the fire that's inside his body. It's... Oh, what a wonderful game it is. It's just such a joy to turn each corner and find something new. I love it so much. It's just one of those games that you can, like I said, just really get lost in. It's just wonderful. Game of discovery. Beautiful. Oh, here, here. It's astounding. I would say it's the best made game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And and what I find <laughs> what, I, what I find unbelievable about Breath of the Wild is that for the time, it came out now, what, three and a half years ago, roughly? At that stage, it took on everything that open world games were doing and said, this is shit. <laughs> like, all yeah. of this is shit. We can do so much better. And now, three and a half years later, no other development team has matched what Nintendo did with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Like, they've they've taken elements in things like more recent Assassin's Creed games or Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. Like, all, all these games have little elements, but none of them understand what made Breath of the Wild so good. Like, actually understand it. An unbelievable achievement this game is. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, I remember that one of the things that struck me most about it, a very sort of easy comparison point uh, in terms of just open world games was uh, Skyrim. In those games, you can sort of fudge it a bit if you think, oh, I've got to get over that mountain. I can't really be bothered to go around. Let me just jump into this mountain a few times to get over it. And you don't really think about that as as being clunky or weird or glitchy. It's just, well, it's a game, in it? So whatever. Until you play Breath of the Wild and everything works properly. Mm. Yeah. Instead of just being like, oh, I'll, I'll mash myself up against it, Link will climb it. Exactly. And if you don't have enough stamina, then you can't climb it. So don't bother. It's fine. I mean, they've thought of everything. They thought, they've thought of everything. It's, it's something that's been playtested within an inch of its life. Yeah. Because like you said, like the, the, the way that you can create your own scenarios out of just what is organically there i mean it's it's extraordinary it's utterly extraordinary it's doing more with less it's 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 perfection it really is i think one of the one of the things that really stands out most to me is when you find uh, one of the three divine dragons Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, like, <laughs> oh. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just passing oh. out over the airwaves. Oh yeah. boy! <laughs> oh, oh mercy do me! Do you remember? Do you remember when you first saw one? Yeah. Like oh yeah. I was like oh yeah. 
crap, that's going to be a boss, isn't it? I don't have a, a, a high enough equipment build to take down this massive... This, this story's high worm <laughs> careening across the sky. But they just, they just float around and they're very much sort of a, a relaxing, but at the same time uh, mysterious and unknowable part of the landscape. It's, it's a real organic encounter. It's wonderful. Mm. And then you can shoot arrows at them to chip off little bits of their skin and teeth to make <laughs> better weapons, just as nature intended. <laughs> just like we used to do with the dragons of old. Mm. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for that, Minty. Moving on, we have my game. Jonathan. So, my game this week is the fifth game from this series on my list. <laughs> and surprisingly, there's still four games in this series still to come. Oh. It's a Zelda Hello, game. Zelda. And what? it's the sequel to my 19th favourite video game of all time, the N64's classic Ocarina of Time, pipping that game by two whole numerals. It is the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. Now, I mentioned a few weeks back that if Majora's Mask had been Link's first foray into the third dimension, a lot of people wouldn't have known how to take it. One of the brilliant things that sequels have as an advantage is the ability to hit the ground running. The Empire Strikes Back doesn't need to spend the first hour of the movie explaining who everyone is or why everything's happening. It can just get straight into the action and the protagonist can chop a Yeti's arm off and crack on. And Majora's Mask benefits so much from Ocarina of Time doing the legwork in terms of establishing how a Zelda game will work in a 3D space, how various mechanics can work like sword fighting, archery, horse riding, inventory management, dungeons, boss fights, all of this stuff. But instead of Nintendo just simply going, oh yeah, we can easily bash out another one of these. Instead, what they did with Majora's Mask was take the opportunity to subvert all of the conventions they'd established in Ocarina of Time and catch the player on the back foot right from the off. And it's in that that Nintendo are real geniuses. And it's what means that Majora's Mask has as an entirely different experience that warrants it being placed as a separate game in my list rather than, say, a game like Assassin's Creed, where there are about five or six games from that series, you, you'd be hard-pushed to differentiate from the other ones. They're just so generic, you know, one can stand in for another. But Nintendo took this idea of subverting what, what games were expecting in their next 3D Zelda outing and, and, and really just got weird with it. And uh, and also really dark, like really bloody dark with it. <laughs> yeah. So the central setup of Majora's Mask sees young Link in an alternate reality to the Hyrule of Ocarina of Time, instead finds himself in the world of Termina, now, for a start, this is another brilliant example of creative problem solving that, that we mentioned when talking about Ocarina of Time. But by setting this in an alternate reality means that they have a legitimate reason to reuse a lot of our assets from Ocarina of Time. You know, there's a reason why Malin and Talon's models are present in Majora's Mask, but they're, they're not running the farm. They're running, say, I don't know, like a, a, a shop in the town or the, the throwaway background character of the Skull Kid in Ocarina of Time, now being the main antagonist in the game, but with, with, with a huge amount of complex characteristics to bring him to life. Instead of being restricted by their limitations here, Nintendo again lean into it and make it a feature and make it a compelling addition to the game rather than something that takes away from the experience. And in this alternate reality, there is a giant falling moon in the sky that is set to destroy the world in three days, unless you can save this land from a terrible fate. What a great start to a story. <laughs> but fear not. 
you're not quite constantly racing against the clock like you were in, say, the original Prince of Persia, where for some reason there was a 60-minute timer on completing the whole game. But with this setup in Majora's Mask comes the game's main unique mechanic, the ability to reset yourself to the beginning of this three-day cycle. And you retain a lot of what you've learnt in your previous cycle, but everything else around you resets its position and its status. And then you take what you've learned and apply it in a new way to give yourself the time you need to figure out how to stop this calamity. And this could have been a very basic technique that was simply in there to heighten the stakes or give the player an extra obstacle to navigate around. But it is quite phenomenal how many things are in the game that revolve around this three-day cycle and how many different stories and lives you can interact with and have an effect on just by changing small things. I won't go into detail about all the side quests that there are, but I would be remiss not to mention the incredible poignancy of a particular couple in the game whose fate you get to alter in a drastic way. When you interact with them on the, on the third day and, and you realise that they've accepted their fate to be destroyed, but happy that they're together at the end. So beautiful. And there is this level of importance hidden in, in every corner of the game, just, just waiting to be discovered. And all the while with this, this criminally oppressive moon hanging overhead. And I think that that moon is, is possibly the most terrifying and threatening thing ever in a video game. Like worse than Slenderman. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrifying on like an existential level. It chills me to my bones. And this three-day cycle is, again, another clever device to make the gameplay data more compact, whilst also providing deep gameplay. The other thing that plays a central role in the game is the mask system. Now, there were a few masks in Ocarina of Time that were limited to, like, you know, optional side quests, but, but now they are, I mean, they're essential to the game and, and have a pivotal role to play in how you progress through the game. The most notable of these are the three main transubstantiational masks, allowing you to transform into a Deku scrub that can hop on water and spit pellets, or into a Goron, allowing you to break massive rocks and curl up into a stony hedgehog, roll your way around the world, or into a Zora, allowing yourself to swim like a dolphin and use your fins as rudimentary boomerangs. I mean, these added a whole other way to play the game that, that hasn't been explored in a Zelda game, I mean, before or since, because the way you control these three different forms of Link are in many ways, totally different to your normal controls. Yeah, yeah, they feel very intuitive and natural to use as well. I mean, it's such great fun. You get that same sense of glee and excitement uh, of, of, of like a new freedom that you would if you were to suddenly sprout wings in real life. I mean, obviously, I imagine that hasn't happened to me yet. We never know. Might do. Might wake up one day. Got some wings. Holy crap. <laughs> I could do anything. Amazing. And it's like that when you put a mask on in Majora's Mask. Ooh, on the big rock. Oh, what can I do? What can't I do? Probably swim. <laughs> Good thing I've got a mask for that one then. <laughs> there were loads of other masks that had interesting effects, like the bunny hood allowing you to run extra fast, or the postman's hat that allows you to use letterboxes strewn across the world, or the stone mask allowing you to be invisible to enemy eyes. A whole wealth of fun. And, and and it also is a game that really rewards you for getting all of the masks, because that unlocks the most epic mask to use in the it's it's amazing it's amazing i won't no spoilers it's amazing well worth doing stick with, <laughs> stick with your masks so another thing that majora's mask does quite, quite differently to ocarina of time is the way that it handles dungeons in the game instead of there being eight or nine dungeons like there were in ocarina of time in majora's mask there were, there were only four dungeons but, but i mean they were in fairness i think 
I mean, I'm pretty sure they were a lot more sprawling and complex and they had much more significance and weight uh, to their place in the story. So similar, actually, to, to the way it works in Breath of the Wild. And these dungeons were great. And and, and because the game itself and, and navigating just the temporal structure of the game was, was a puzzle in and of itself, I, I never felt the lack of more dungeons. Like I said, similar sort of setup to Breath of the Wild where you had like your traditional dungeon cravings being satiated by things elsewhere in the game, which, you know, allowed the, the ceremony of the fewer main dungeons and, and the spectacle of them to be felt on a, on a greater level with more importance. Another nice addition to these dungeons were the hidden fairies dotted all over the place. Like a, a nice little extra quest to keep you occupied on your journey, though. And also a good reason to, to come back to the dungeons later in the game, if you so wanted, rather than, than being, you know, one and done affairs. I, th I think, though, like writing this and thinking about it, I think it was actually a nice opportunity to, to have a bit of a Metroidvania edge to the fairies in the dungeons. So there could have been some fairies that were hidden in the dungeon that you, you couldn't get until, you know, you've got certain masks later in the game or, or, or a piece of equipment to really encourage you to explore all the functionality that was on offer with, with the masks and stretch your brain a bit more. And, and like I said, give you sort of more reason to, to, to go back to a dungeon after you've done it. But, but they were great. They were really, really great. Yeah, that would have been great in the remakes. And speaking of the remakes, like it was, it was amazing that Ocarina of Time got the treatment it did, but I did not expect them to treat Majora's Mask the same way. I, I, I didn't, ex I didn't expect it because it doesn't have the same status that Ocarina of Time does. You know, it wasn't a guaranteed sell like Ocarina of Time would have been. But you know, I guess once they'd done the legwork with rebuilding Ocarina of Time from scratch, simply doing the same trick with reusing all the assets for making Majora's Mask, I guess that was a fairly straightforward task. And like the 3D port of Ocarina of Time, that there were some wonderful additions made to Majora's Mask, in addition to the improved graphics, frame rate, obviously added stereoscopic 3D. Oh, it's lovely. Like one of the best... <laughs> so good. So good. Very strong. One of the best things was, was how it allowed you to keep track of all the the routines of all of the inhabitants in the world so you could you could more simply calculate how to complete certain quest lines that relied on the specificity of these timings and and, and like ocarina of time 3d I, I think the 3ds port is is the definitive version of majora's mask that we've got so far and i i'm so glad that i've got it on my 3ds to pick up and play whenever i want there's something very very special about majora's mask I feel it's it's kind of the Zelda connoisseur's Zelda. <laughs> like, Ocarina of Time is, of course, brilliant. But, but those who really understand and appreciate Zelda on a deeper level know that Majora's Mask is the superior game. And like I've said before, I, I mean, I, I really hope Nintendo handled the Breath of the Wild sequel with similar treatment. Because, I mean, my goodness, if you apply the approach that they took with Majora's Mask back then and built on all of the amazing things that Minty's just spoken about in Breath of the Wild. My goodness, we could be in store for something incredibly tasty. Yum. Flippy yum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying a thing. Oh, yeah. Yet. <laughs> uh, I've, I've not played it. Of course you bloody haven't. Of course you bloody haven't. <laughs> so lastly, and Dow, it's Chris. Chris, can you please tell us about your 17th favourite video game of all time? Sorry, your 17th favourite Zelda game of all time. <laughs> this this has been really hard to write this week. There's a few games on our lists uh, so far, like on mine, for instance. When I talked about Smash Bros, for example, there's been an iterative release that's come out since starting this, this show. And it basically means that the one I put on my list is completely moot because 
you know, Smash for Wii U, Ultimate did everything better. It, there's no reason to play the one on the Wii U if you have access to the one on the Switch. But within the confines of the list, that means in my head at least, it's like one in, one out. I would still put Smash Ultimate basically the same place. Mm. So it doesn't really change too much of, of you know, how I, how I built the rankings for, for my own games. Then there's other games that, that we know would obviously tumble down the numbers a bit on a revised list just because we've played other games that we've enjoyed more. So thinking about the stuff at the tail ends of our list, we've got things like you know Jurassic Park on the Game Boy, Elabits on the Wii, Bomber Raid on the Master System. We know they're getting the chop if we if we think about <laughs> revising our lists. Jurassic Park would not be getting the chop. Like no seriously, if anything, no, it's going well, up, mate. Seriously, the more I thought about it, like there are some games where I think you know I, I needed to kind of I wanted to talk about it to sort of get it out of my system a bit. Like Clockwork Night yeah, Two, yeah. it was great to have the opportunity to talk about it. But now that I've done that, I've got that out of my system. I don't think it's got a place on my list because, you know, there are 20 games I've played since then that are better, that are definitely going in the list. But Jurassic Park was the other way around where I was thinking, actually, no, I really do love that game and I want it honoured on my list. So deal with that. (laughs) But I mean, for me, at least, like the ones at the bottom, I know are getting mercilessly and unceremoniously tossed into the bin <laughs> because of games like Forager or, you know, for you, games like Dead Cells or or Tetris Effect for me is obviously going to be high and, and lump things down a bit. But t- today's game has been really tough to, to write about because when we did our lists, this absolutely deserved its place at 17. I, I was confident this is where it's at. And yet I've played a game since starting this show that means I can't just sub it in. I can't just like knock it down a couple couple levels. The game I've played since starting this list would put this game down into probably the 50s or 60s. Oh. And, and that's really, really hard. And it's because this spiritual successor that I wish I could be talking about beats out this game in every single way. Um, because the game I want to talk about is Inside oh. and this game is Limbo. Oh. Um, so so Playdead's first attempt at a sort of cinematic 2D physics-based story platformer like to get stuff out of the way first it's going to be very hard to talk about this game without referencing inside <laughs> and and as a result it may seem like i'm being like negative at times or, or harsh but i i do stand by limbo's position in my list circa you know mid to late 2018 when we wrote this because despite the things that inside does better which i think is everything <laughs> uh, limbo is still like a stellar title that deserves to be played and respected and enjoyed mm. I, I just feel like it's one of those games that you really need to play before picking up Inside or it's always going to feel like a backward you step. You can understand now why Inside was on my list and Limbo wasn't. It's not because yeah, Limbo wasn't for brilliant. For sure, for sure. I mean, Limbo, if you've not seen it before, it's it's a, a 2D platformer. It's presented in stark black and white. The world is shadowy. The enemies and the obstacles all appear as silhouettes. It's got these moments of brightness and light, which, which serve as like very literal highlights in the games almost chiaroscuro style tableaus but primarily it's a game just about dark like it's it's dark in its look it's dark in its subject matter it's dark in in your character's descent into the depths in in kind of like rescuer's pursuit you're you're looking for your sister or at least that's what we're told in the game's marketing spiel because nothing else is is mentioned in the game itself and in order to find her you need to confront all sorts of nightmares in in order to kind of like you know get to the end of the game as it were to to rescue her the, the nightmares in Limbo can be very literal. So you've got things like giant spiders, hidden bear traps, spiked pits. At times they feel like they can be more metaphorical. So you've got 
you know, a, a section where it feels like you're being shunned socially by a group of almost like Lord of the Flies style feral children that set up traps and just run perpetually away from you. And and sometimes some of the fears in this game feel almost like societal. So to me, at least, that the game's final act is all about like pulverizing machinery and, and it feels like it's about wider fears of, of industry and capital and, and stuff like that. And it's it's all just a very unpleasant place to be. But when I was playing Limbo, especially for the first time, in in the same way I felt immediately transfixed by Inside, persevering through through its horrors because I felt I'd become like the player's sole caretaker and keeper. Like I, I wanted to push forward and allow Mr. Limbo or whatever we're going to call him <laughs> to, to reach his goal. I really like how... Playdead use very, very black humour in their games. And and Limbo and Inside both operate around this idea of like trial and error gameplay that is it's not as a failing of you as a player. It's very much part of the experience. You're expected to make these these mistakes and then learn from them. So Limbo always ha- has this ebb and flow that you're being pushed forwards. You are going to die. You're, you're going to confront an obstacle that you might not even see and, and then lose lose your life. But it always allows you a do-over. And it's not really that different to, to playing something like a lot of modern racing games, like the, the Forza Horizon series now has a rewind button mm. that you can just correct crashes or poor cornering whenever you want. Except here, rather than being a desire for perfection that makes you want to go back, it's just core survival. Like your character is dead, but now you know how not to be dead and you just go back and do it again. It's a very different experience from a game as well that would normally test your platforming skills because it's a game where death is part of the experience and it's never... It's never super hard. It's just about kind of learning and then taking that learned experience forwards a little bit further next time. I mean, you're in purgatory. <laughs> you know, the, the game's called Limbo. I think that's I think that's kind of the theme of the game. That there are absolutely sections that rely on on execution, but primarily it's a game that is not really tough per se, but just gradual attrition that you you learn and you you build and you move forwards. The deaths feel very much that it's thematically part of what Limbo wants to be and the story it's trying to tell that you'll get there eventually, but it's it's obviously going to be a journey of hardship along the way. So you get spiked, you get speared, you get blown up, but you're going to be back at kind of Groundhog Day style with the knowledge that next time you just need to hop over that little hidden obstacle and, and forge ever onwards to judgment. <laughs> so much of what Limbo does well, though, is refined and inside. Mm. Like, I, I keep coming back to the same thing because I I can't talk about so many, so many of the things I loved about Limbo on its release and when I played it a few years later without referencing the stuff that Inside does better. I can't talk about the way that Limbo plays with timing, the way that it makes every escape seem improbably close to, to catastrophic failure without going, well, Inside actually does it better. <laughs> and, and I can't talk about the environmental storytelling, you know, the dilapidated buildings in, in Limbo's city section in the middle of the game, or, or the dimly lit mines without going, well, actually, uh, I think you'll find it Inside did that a little bit better. I can't talk about the industrial soundscapes and all the fantastic Foley effects work without going inside does it better. <laughs> I can't even talk about, and this is the thing I really wanted to dwell on, Limbo, without spoiling it, has like a breathless ending, like a, a scene which challenges all the conventions you've learned throughout the whole game and left me speechless when I played it the first time. And yet now, having played Inside, you just go, well, Inside did it better. <laughs> it's It's just... It's really depressing because this is a game that I really, really love, but I, I, I can't find anything in Limbo that wasn't then refined and improved upon in its successor. But the more I've written this, the more I kind of thought about it, I, I've also thought that maybe that doesn't matter sometimes. 
So this is a still still a game, like I said, of towering achievement that I would recommend people play 100%. And, and perhaps we can think of it more like if we look at, say, uh, Steven Spielberg films, does it matter that his first feature-length picture, Jewel, was not as good as the eventual Jaws of Jurassic Park? Because Jewel is still a film about relentless chase. It's still about like having an unshakable, inhuman pursuer. And, and thinking about it rationally, like without that film, without that experience, without that kind of desire to tell that story there wouldn't be a Jaws. And without a Jaws, there probably wouldn't be a Jurassic Park. And, and you have these kind of stepping stones that, that take a creator from one place to another to, to another. So I think Inside obviously exists because of Limbo. And it was, it was their stepping stone for Playdead to, to eventually make their magnum opus that I, I just do not see how they can better in, in whatever project they're cooking up next. I love both games. Like, I seriously love both games. They are both 10 out of 10 experiences for me. I just... I just love Inside more. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a, a bit of an apology, but Limbo, when we wrote the list, was the 17th best video game I had ever played. It's just that now it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that absolute clangor, we uh, bring this episode to an end. <laughs> Three games. First of all, we had... The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And then we had... The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mars. <laughs> and finally, we had... The Legend of Zelda, Limbo, but not inside. <laughs> <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, we would very much appreciate it if you shared the podcast on social media. Oh, that'd be lovely to see. Lovely to see. You can engage with we us on our... It. Shut up. You can engage with us on... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can engage with us on our various social media platforms. Find us on Instagram at O3C Podcast. Search for us on YouTube, Our Three Cents. Twitch at O3C Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Our Three Cents. Chat to us on there. Tell us what you thought of these games. Tell us what you're playing at the moment. Take us to task on some of our absolute opinions. <laughs> or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. <laughs> you can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I, as always, am Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us a little bit more, then uh, please do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Our Three Cents, and do consider pledging a few pennies our way for some rather tasty pickled perkins <laughs> and please do join us next week for our sweet 16th favourite video games what and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What mad universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network. In this quarter, on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. <laughs>